Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Folks have been doing this show for a long time around here. You know that. And I don't know that there has ever been a more satisfying day to be on the air than there is right now. We are in such a great mood. And we want to look back at every aspect of this Georgia-Tennessee game. It's going to take us more than one day to do it, probably. But I think that you've got to start off by saying this. And we'll get to what Kirby Smart said about the atmosphere in a moment. But this was the most intense atmosphere for football I have ever seen. And you're going to make some comparisons to certain things. And I just I think it has to be understood what made Saturday so different from, like, say, 2019 Notre Dame, the first time that the Irish came here to Athens and the light show kind of showing off those LED lights for the first time or anything like that. In fact, let me just kind of use the Notre Dame game as comparison here for a moment. When that game took place in September of 2019, that was a little bit of a festival. Uh, Georgia had just been to South Bend in 2017. Notre Dame fans were very kind to UGA, welcomed with open arms. There were like probably 40,000, 50,000 Georgia fans in South Bend for that game, and they were actually very well received by the Fighting Irish uh, folks. And so I think there was a temptation when they came here in September of 2019 just want to reciprocate that. And plus, everybody was kind of excited about this sort of newfangled LED light stuff. That, that the game against Notre Dame in 2019, it just felt a little bit like kind of a festival, sort of a celebration of college football. Georgia and Notre Dame aren't historic rivals necessarily. Notre Dame obviously has a lot of attention, so a lot of people don't like them because of the attention they receive. But there wasn't a lot of, like, you know, tenacious rivalry stuff going on with UGA. And plus at the time, and I'm not really quite so sure, at the beginning of that season, we knew how good we thought Georgia was, completely different. On Saturday, this wasn't just a festive college football atmosphere. This wasn't just a loud crowd. Folks, if you were there, you would acknowledge me on this. This was an edgy crowd. This was a very edgy day. This was a crowd that was angry, and you could really feel it. And they channeled it in such a positive way towards making an impact on this game. They went out there, and they changed the game. And when you think about kind of where Georgia is this point in the season, with a lot of work still yet left to be done along the way to go for 2-22, and but when you think about where Georgia is at this point in the season, I think that you have to to, to really kind of get to this part of and, and really fully understand the fact that right now Georgia is vanquishing critics. And for some reason, going into a game like this, Georgia heard way more criticism. We talked about it you know, on Friday show and really – a little bit every day last week, it seems like we were kind of dragging out some doofus somewhere who was like, you know, Georgia can't stop Tennessee or Georgia can't score any points or Georgia doesn't have, you know, any kind of home field advantage. You know, how many times we sort of drag all this out last week that it just seemed like that Georgia was dealing with sort of an un reasonable level of skepticism for a team that had won the national championship the prior year was undefeated it was a point spread favorite in the game but somehow it became kind of fun to make Georgia a little bit of a punching bag going into a game like this and the team and the fans had enough they weren't going to tolerate a second longer and if you were there on Saturday you felt the edge that existed around the game and you know, a lot of this started on Saturday morning there, too, with, you know, after everything you'd heard about anonymous coaches quoted by ESPN, you know, washed up has been former Tennessee quarterbacks or, you know, uh, you know, Jordan Rogers, you know, going on some you know show somewhere. You know, it also continued kind of on that game day set game day in Athens 
uh, you know, you know, there at the Myers quad. And yet all the folks who were there, you know, you know, voices on the show. It was like a one way street of folks picking Tennessee. Thankfully, Luke Bryan was there to kind of, you know, uh, kind of correct the record and all this. But but prior to that, a whole bunch of folks doing nothing but picking Tennessee. In fact, let me let you hear a little bit of that from ESPN on Saturday. This is the game day crowd. Smokey is right here next to me. So for this dog fight, I'm going with Smokey and the Tennessee Volunteers. What? I'm picking Tennessee. <laughs> All over. Good old Rocky Top. Listen, we're going to step on their faces. All right. We're going to crush your dreams. Okay. With a hobnail boot. I mean, thank goodness for Luke Bryan right there. How much of an idiot does Pat McAfee and Kirk Herbstreit, who we you know typically kind of like, or you know uh, uh, Desmond Howard, how much of idiots do they look like? You know, falling all over themselves to pick Tennessee in a game like that. And I, I'm telling you, that created an edge on Saturday. The team played with the edge. The fans brought their level of edge. There was some nastiness to this day on Saturday. This wasn't just oh Athens is this quaint college town and boy it loves college football. There was something else going on there on Saturday. And, you know, after the game, Keely Ringo kind of acknowledged that, that whether it be Tuesday night with the uh, way the selection committee handled its business or all the stuff throughout the week, that this was a Georgia team that, you know, kind of wanted to show some teeth a little bit on Saturday. I, I thought that Keeley said it very well after the game. Obviously had a huge pick during the game, a uh, penchant for big plays and big moments, obviously. But after the game, I thought Keely Ringo did a pretty good job of kind of acknowledging that Georgia was not in a good mood going into Saturday's game. Here's Keeley. Honestly, as a player, I would say it was a little bit upsetting, but um, I feel like going out there, that didn't have anything to do with it. Um, I, I feel like being able to just prove different people wrong. Uh, we've seen a lot of different articles and stuff like that. Um, we try to stay away from the media and, um, and, and just continue to work on our preparation and just be able to execute. And I feel like the rest will take care of itself. If you're watching a video, you see a great photo of uh, Kirby Smart leaping into the air there. And I, I love that. Those words from Keely Ringo. And the question you ask is, hey, where does Georgia go for its apology now? You know, who's going to step up and say, hey, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Now, Eric Ainge, was credit, I guess, kind of already has. But uh, frankly, you know, nobody really cares what he thinks one way or another. But how about some of these other prominent voices? How about this anonymous coach that was quoted by ESPN that said Georgia's going to give up 50 points? 50 points, he said, to Tennessee. You know, is he going to come out of the woodworks and anonymously apologize now? Sorry, I'm, you know, uh, got this wrong. There's a reason why I'm acting as a source for a story as opposed to coaching a game like this. You know, uh, is he going to step up and apologize? Is Jordan Rogers going to step up and apologize now? Uh, Are all the people who've said what they've said, are they going to step up and apologize now? Uh, Because that's what Georgia's owed. That's all Tuesday night should be. When the college football playoff, uh, playoff selection committee does its show again, the entire thing should be, hey, Georgia, we're sorry we even talked about anybody else because we'll get there in a, minute, uh, in a minute. But, you know, Clemson loses. Alabama loses. Ohio State, who's apparently God's gift to football, struggling to beat Notre Dame. I should say Northwestern. Yeah, it's windy or whatever, but, but nonetheless. Uh, it's not just that Georgia won on Saturday, but it did so in such a way that I think right now the spotlight is sort of squarely on it in a way that it doesn't deserve to be on anybody else. And, yeah, there ought to be some apologies issued for the way that Georgia played. And uh, that, that part of today isn't just being you know happy that your team played well. Part of this is some of that leftover lingering um, response to the negativity that was way too robust and way too uh, prominent and, and prolific going last week. Georgia never deserved to hear all, all of the negativity that heard last week. But if it helped contribute to the victory, I guess for some fans – uh, they may be happy with that. And sort of speaking of the fans, once again, you know, Kirby Smart was, uh, you know, customarily as he does, 
you know, kind of giving credit to them off the uh, top of his post-game press conference about the role in which they played and making this happen. This is one of the things that makes college football special is you do have those days, those nights in which it seems like the team is feeding off the crowd, the crowd is feeding off the team, and you're just kind of, you know, everybody's sort of working together as one, and it felt like all of Dog Nation was kind of just moving in the same direction there on Saturday. It was a sight to behold, and Kirby did a great job of shouting out just how impactful those fans were. This is Kirby from the post-game press conference there on Saturday. What an incredible environment. I just got a text from my wife. I've never seen our fans not leave the stadium like that, even when it rained. You know, Claude made a mention that start of the second half, there wasn't an empty seat in the house other than the ones they purchased. And uh, our fans were elite today. We asked them to be. They responded. And uh, they get the second place vote because the players on this team bought in. And they understood the plan. They executed the plan. They played extremely physical. They played without ego. And they played complimentary football, which is always important. Really proud of the way our guys played. So I want to get to a lot of what Kirby Smart said there. But let me just say one more thing on the fans. And once again, if you're watching a video, you see some of the images from the game on Saturday. Y'all, I mean, it's obvious that I'm a you know Georgia partisan here. I, I want Georgia to do well. I want Georgia to win the game. And, you know, we really spent a lot of time last week kind of pushing, you know, a big atmosphere created by fans. And I told you last week that I was concerned. Well, if it rained – in fact, we had our, our good friend Ella Dorsey on from Atlanta News First on Friday for R.S. Andrews Cooldown. I told Ella, who's obviously a meteorologist, I said, listen, my concern here is not how the rain impacts the game. I think the team itself will be fine but I'm worried about how the rain will impact the fans. Will it dampen the mood in the stadium? And when that rain came, I got really worried about that. Are these fans going to put on their rain gear? Are they going to sit there and shiver? Are they going to sit on their hands? Y'all, it got louder. It got louder. And Kirby's, and that's what Kirby's referencing when he said nobody left. What he means is, is that nobody went running for the, you know, the, the, the undercover. Nobody went to the concourse. Nobody left the stadium because all of a sudden it was rainy. It starts to get a little colder when it gets rainy. It was, I'm sure, very uncomfortable. And nobody left at all. And if anything, they were turning up their, their, their noise level to a higher gear. Can you imagine how miserable it must be if you're the Tennessee offense and at that point in time hadn't scored a touchdown all day long? Uh, the Georgia defense is frothing at the mouth. The Georgia fans are breathing down your neck. It's raining. Like, do you know how miserable it was to be wearing orange on Saturday? I'm talking about absolutely unmercifully miserable. And the Georgia fans who made it even more so once the rain started, I'll never forget that. There was that third quarter moment where uh, I think it's third quarter, certainly second half, where it's a big third down play, and the crowd is like so loud that I mean it's really like piercing my ears. It's so loud, and it leads to the Javon Bullard sack, and um, I just couldn't believe. It. I, I couldn't believe it kept getting louder and louder and louder. I just couldn't believe it. But as Kirby said, hey, for all the credit the fans get, the players themselves, they get top shelf billing here, and they do get top shelf credit. And Smart uses three phrases there that I think are really important. It's going to take me more than a day to, uh, to unpack all of this. But he talked about the physicality of this. And, y'all, it still matters. It still matters. For everything everybody wants to seem to do to take the, to the physical part out of the game, and I'm not talking about player safety. Obviously, we're very respectful of player safety. But, but there is clearly an emphasis on the more finesse version of the sport right now. And Kirby's kind of zigging when everybody else is zagging. It's like the old Warren Buffett line. You know, greedy when people are panicked and panic when people are greedy. As, as, as more and more, more folks seem to be trying to figure out a way to make football less physical, 
Georgia wins games like this by just being tougher than their team they're playing. Do you know how much it must be awful to play against this Georgia team because they want to strike you? They want to do that. They want to strike, you know, blockers, you know, you know, on defense. The offensive line wants to kind of find somebody to strike and, you know, make that extra opportunity for one or two extra yards. Do you know how awful that must be to play against Georgia, knowing how much they embrace the physical part of this and the fact that Georgia does play without ego in a, in a time in which – I mean, you don't have to look very far to the West here to see a team that I think has kind of come apart at the seams. Uh, I'm talking about Alabama here because of a lot of different egos and maybe a lot of people playing for themselves more so than playing for the team. And the bond that used to seem to exist there that contributed to championships, for whatever reason, that's kind of come unraveled. And maybe one day at Georgia, the same thing will happen. The price of success is it becomes harder to stay at the top. But for now, Enjoy this moment and enjoy what Georgia looks like because it looks a lot like it did a year ago. We see all the time, hashtag go for two and 22. What that means is it's playing a brand of football that it's a replica of the brand of football that allowed Georgia to win a national championship uh, last season where, where guys play for each other. They play with each other. They enjoy, genuinely enjoy doing that. Uh, it's a thing of beauty to watch there on Saturday as what worked for Georgia a season ago was once again proved to still be working here right now and then Kirby gets into the idea of complimentary football and what that's all about and I thought he was asked a really good question about you know you know what that means to him and what maybe people think about Georgia because it kind of leans in that direction and I thought Kirby gave a great answer to that too I'm going to get to that here coming up in a moment but just sort of sum up all of this what a day it was to be in Athens it was a historic game never have we seen two teams ranked this high playing on this field and never have we seen Georgia fans make themselves more a part of the final outcome than they did. And never have we seen a Georgia team firing on all cylinders the way that it was. Or maybe we shouldn't say never have we seen that. We have recently seen that. This felt like a continuation of the national championship story. A national championship level program that has taken that pursuit into a new year. Go for two in 22 it is more real than ever. That is the journey that Georgia can be on. And Saturday may have only been another step in that direction. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start at 945 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We are so happy to have you with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella, window and door of Georgia, for making it all possible. You know, Georgia obviously enjoyed a great home field advantage on Saturday, and you can give yourself a big advantage at your home, too, when it comes to Pella, windows, and doors. Because right now, like, my house, last couple of days, has been really warm on the outside which means we got the air conditioning turned back on again and ac is obviously expensive and when you got that air conditioning kind of running through the house you don't want it like escaping out poorly fitted windows and doors or just kind of a sort of a faulty product that that doesn't kind of help keep your house kind of sealed and comfortable way it's supposed to be that's what pella windows and doors are all about uh, you'll love the product in fact homeowners here in the atlanta area and survey after survey year after year have kind of recognized pella window and door of georgia for exactly what it is, the true brand leader viewed to be the best. Uh, all kinds of knowing homeowners here in our area will tell you exactly that. And you can find out more about this yourself. You can have a conversation, no pressure, with one of the Pella experts who can talk to you about all the installation options, the entire product line. Or if you want to stop by and see for yourself at that experience center right there in Duluth, you can put your hands and feel 
what makes a uh, Pella window and door uh, so much better. You can also get great savings now as well because it's not just a great product. It comes at a, uh, uh, you know, great offer there as well because between now and november 30th you can get payments as low as 199 dollars a month or 200 off windows 400 off doors great savings there as well from our friends at palo window and door of georgia so stop by and see them at the experience center in duluth or give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or visit them online pellaofga.com slash dog nation pellaofga.com slash dog nation and of course make sure you tell them that ba from dog nation daily said they would take good care of you because i know that they will so uh reach out to our friends at palo window and door of georgia today it is john stinchcomb coming up in a moment we'll talk a lot of stuff about john john was there on saturday I am very curious to hear his perspective on all of this. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And around the doghouse today is assisted by our friends at AAA. Now, let me ask a fair question. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of this a few more times later on in the, in, in the week, you know, kind of addressing this for a moment. So we talked about what I would view as kind of an unfair level of criticism for Georgia coming into a game like this. And... I think it's fair to wonder, well, if that was true, if Georgia was unfairly criticized, incorrectly maligned, if folks should have known better and sort of did it anyway, I think it's fair to ask the question, well, what's the motivation for that? Because it is very easy to sort of fall in the fan trap of saying, well, the media just hates my team. The media is out to get my team. Trust me when I tell you, every fan base everywhere at times sort of feels like the media, in air quotes, is out to get their team. And we don't want to kind of fall in the trap of being you know, excessively cliche, things like that. I, I, I do think it's legitimate that Georgia fans were in a bad mood on Saturday. I think they had justifiable reason to be in a bad mood. But at the same time, it's too simplistic to say, well, the media just hates my team because everybody at times sort of feels like the media hates their team. We fully acknowledge that. So I think it's fair to ask, well, if Georgia was getting an unfair level of criticism coming into this game, what is the genesis of all that? Why is that the case? I think there are potentially a few reasons. We may touch on some of these as the week goes on. But here's kind of what it comes down to, is that people reject complexity and they embrace simplicity. And one of the ways in which you see football kind of marketed right now is it's like, you know, before the big game, it's like you got one side of the graphic with one phase and another side of the graphic with another phase. And typically speaking, the easiest way to sort of sell college football right now is, hey, it's Bryce Young, the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes. That is a very simple marketing message, and it's very easy for people to understand, and it's very easy to kind of fall in line with that. That when you sell the sport as quarterbacks throwing to wide receivers, really, really simple, well, all of a sudden now I don't have to memorize a bunch of names on defense. I don't have to memorize a bunch of offensive linemen. I don't have to learn a lot more about anything else just than the superstar quarterback and sort of the superstar wide receiver, and that's sort of all you have to know. But at Georgia, the story is way more complicated than that if i were to ask you let's say that you were in charge of cbs's graphics department you're selling georgia versus tennessee on the tennessee side it's very simple to say well the one player i'm going to put on that graphic is hendon hooker or if it's not hendon hooker maybe it's jalen hyatt but it's one of the two it's either quarterback or star receiver probably quarterback and it's very easy to sell tennessee football that way hey come watch hendon hooker in the tennessee vaults what one face are you putting on the georgia side if I gave you one second to sell Georgia football, why you should tune in and watch this team play? What one face are you putting there? You couldn't just pick one face. In fact, for our player of the game on Saturday, I think we picked the entire Georgia defense. It's like, do you go with secondary? You know, do you give it to Keely Ringo? Do you give it to Javon Bullard? Do you give it to Kamari Laster? Do you give it to Jalen Carter? It's like, 
you know, once again, this defense, just like it was a year ago, it's just like everybody doing everything all at once at the same time. And you had the number one overall pick on last year's defense. You had the Benaric Award winner on last year's defense. You had the Butkus Award winner on last year's defense. You had five first-round picks in total. But never at any point in time did one of those guys stand taller than the rest. It really was just a team effort. It was a bunch of guys who were sort of equals, you know, uh, compared to each other, even though they all had kind of individual accolades. And this Georgia team this year is kind of the same way. It's an offense that helps the defense. It's a defense that helps the offense. That is Georgia's recipe for success. But it is not as sexy as a marketing message as Bryce Young, the Alabama Crimson Tide, or Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee Vols, or C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes, superstar player propelling a team. Georgia's a team of stars. Georgia's a team of excellent players. And both sides of the ball – kind of help each other it's complimentary football that might seem a little boring to some people and Kirby Smart was asked on Saturday hey do you feel like this game kind of validates your version of complimentary football it's not as sexy as the way in which other teams are selling themselves right now but do you think this kind of validates your team and I thought that Kirby Smart gave a good answer to what I think is frankly a very fair question here is Kirby after the game on Saturday I don't think we have to validate complimentary football. We've been playing complimentary football around here for a long time. I just think that's the way you should play football. Um, we talked all week about hunting with a purpose. They gained confidence as the week went on to the plan, and they stuck to the plan, and uh, they executed well. You know? So here's why I think that people think that Kirby has to validate complimentary football, offense helping defense, defense helping offense, no one person standing taller than the rest of the team. It's because no matter how often it works, People keep assuming it won't work. Ah, Georgia didn't have enough, was it Jordan Rogers said? Doesn't have enough playmakers. Georgia doesn't have enough talent. Georgia doesn't have enough this, enough that. And, you know, defense, you know, going to give up 50 points because there's not enough of something on this team. Somehow, someway, the complementary brand of football that Georgia plays where everything seems equal to the other, no matter how often that keeps working against Tennessee now, against Alabama a year ago, Michigan a year ago, uh, you know, any other big game you kind of want to cite here over the course of the last year and a half, no matter how often it keeps working, there seems to be a group of people who are going to step up and say it's not going to work in the future because that's just not the way the rest of the sport is marketing itself right now. But if you notice this, the rest of the sport is looking up at Georgia and that brand of complimentary football that's worked in the past, it may keep on working in the future there as well. And that is around the doghouse and it's presented today by our friends at AAA. And of course, I'm always thankful to have that AAA membership card in my pocket because I'm traveling a lot. High school football on Friday, heading to, you know, Athens this past Saturday, going to Starkville this upcoming Saturday. When I'm traveling around like that, it's good to have AAA with me where I go. But let's face it, that's not the only thing AAA can do for you. And I want you to know about the other services they provide, including being a tremendous resource when it comes to your auto insurance there as well. Because with AAA, you can expect something more. They're known for that. But you might also pay something less. In fact, you can reach out right now and get a no-obligation quote to find out how AAA auto insurance might be a great option for you. And you might qualify for some of these great savings opportunities like the membership the membership discount, easy for me to say, the paperless discount, the pay-in-full discount, the multiple car savings, and uh, so much more. There's so many different ways you can save on your auto insurance with AAA. So reach out and have a consultation and find out how one of those might be right for you. Give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. Uh, reach out to our friends at AAA today. All right, so 
a lot going on here, a lot of bases to cover as relates to Georgia on Saturday. So what better way to do that right now than when a former All-American who was on hand on Saturday got a terrific honor during the game? What did it feel like to be on that sideline for a portion of the game with that crowd the way that it was? Let's hear about it all right now. John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So there's a lot to talk to uh, John Stinchcomb about. We're going to do our best to cover all of those bases. But, John, I do want to just mention this before we kind of get into this. You and some of your teammates on that 2002 Georgia team were honored on Saturday. I've seen them do this for some, you know, kind of, you know, milestone-type teams before and milestone-type players before. The trophies they give out for that, for people who may have been in the stadium and saw this, they're huge. Like, this is a gigantic trophy. I mean, how cool is that to get that? Is it as heavy as it looks? You know, to, you know, to, to give out a trophy like that to every single member of the 2002 team that was, you know, on the field there at that point in time, that seems like a really nice thing. I mean, what a, what a cool thing to get, John. What was that like? Oh, it's, it's enormous. Uh, first of all, and it's for the all-SEC team from 2002, which, um, you know, you look at all the guys that were recognized, and you think, man, we had quite a team. And, and yeah. you think back when we really did. That was a special year for us. But those trophies are enormous and a good 45, 50 pounds. So, um, you know, where, where to put it, I think that's always the, the biggest question when you get <laughs> something like that. I'm going to... Set it in the middle of our uh, dining room table. You know, my family likes to stare at that big old joker. I mean, man, what do you do with it? It, it? it was quite an honor, and what an incredible Saturday to be a part of the festivities. Huge win for Georgia, and just awesome to, to be out there and reconnect with guys that I hadn't seen Kevin Breedlove. He's living in Costa Rica. Now. How about so, that? Just to reconnect with some guys um, and relive some old memories was was awesome before the game and then to be a part and at least on that sideline uh for a part of that and, and watch Stetson scamper into the end zone was something really special and a, and a memory that'll last a long time for all of us yeah I'm curious and obviously you played in big games and so you're no stranger to big time crowd noise of course but as you mentioned you were on the sideline for a portion of that what did it feel like to be down there because John the thing that and I'm not a former player but I have you know spent some time on fields during games the one thing that always kind of, I guess, sticks out to me when I'm on the field in a moment when it's loud, I don't think it's ever been louder than it was on Saturday, is the way in which the noise kind of bounces off the ground and you can kind of almost feel like the ground shaking a little bit. It's amazing how the surface, the playing surface, becomes the focal point for all that noise and there's a tangible feeling associated with that. What did it feel like to be down there, you know, in the midst of all that, what did that feel like personally for you? To a person, uh, and we're talking about guys that we've all played in, in big games, it was the loudest we've ever heard Sanford Stadium. It was reverberating off the field, like you say. And you saw it affect Tennessee time and time again. Billy Bennett was out there and said the, the only memory that came close was playing in Neyland Stadium when they hit that long, I think it was like a screen pass that they took to the house right before the hobnail boot right. series. Um, and that was the loudest moment that he can recall that compared to what continually happened in Sanford Stadium on Saturday. It was remarkable how loud it was. And, you know, it, 
there were fans that I talked to Sunday at church that were saying you know, it was almost painful to their ears and reminiscent to my days in New Orleans, which is a dome, and you captured that sound where your ears still yeah. ring that next day. It's so loud. And I think uh, it is the best fan performance in, in Sanford Stadium, bar none. It was yeah. very impressive. John, I totally agree. I want to get to the specifics of the game in a moment, but I want to respond back to something you just said there. A lot of people who do what I do for a living end up going deaf, so I'm very sensitive about my hearing. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, when I would like get up and go to the bathroom or something like that, when you kind of like there was this sort of ringing that was still in your ears when you stepped away from the crowd because of how loud that it was. There's the one great image that's been shared a few times, like a Tennessee fan kind of holding his ears, which is kind of like the, I guess the image of the day, so to speak. But I mean, this wasn't just loud. It was kind of a piercing loudness. And at times it kept getting louder. And I'm just telling you right now, it was, it had to have been intimidating. A lot of the Tennessee players, have said that it was. Josh Heupel acknowledged that it was. It had to be intimidating because it wasn't just yay, go team. There was a nastiness to it. This was a, this was a fan base on Saturday that was not in a good mood about some of the things they had heard leading into the game. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, what's funny is, is in recent years, I feel like Georgia fans have uh, been known for their decorum on a, on a Saturday. Like, hey, they're I've, I've talked to other fans who came and as visitors and said, "Oh, they were all nice." I did not get that same impression on Saturday. No. Matter of fact, uh, you know, I had a cousin who who was there and said it was one of the nastiest uh, experiences that he's had in Sanford Stadium, and I, I think it was because of all the the chatter before the game, not specifically from Tennessee, but from the national media. Uh, I should also. Go back to, I apologize for laughing, B.A., when you said a lot of people in your profession end up with some hearing damage because uh, <laughs> it was it was very loud. And I shouldn't make light of anyone who uh, who suffers the consequences of it. I, I honestly feel like there were games where it affected my hearing uh, in for, for a couple days, and I think you do that too many times. It's probably not good for you. As a matter of fact, I hope the athletic department is prepared for a couple of uh, class action lawsuits for <laughs> well, all that were in attendance. Because, <laughs> man, it was loud. That was a that was a loud setting, and you know I say it a little bit in jest sure. because it, it certainly affected the game. I've never seen offensive linemen jump off sides before the ref is even behind the he's yeah. out from behind the center. It was almost instant, instantaneously, and I, I realize they play fast ball, but. It was uh, it very much affected the game. Coach Heupel mentioned it a couple of times, and uh, as did other players. But it was it was a truly remarkable, special setting, and to think that that came in the middle of a regular season game, I think, makes it that much more impressive. So let's talk about some of the things from the game. I thought defensively, it was as Kirby smart as it gets. I mean, you know, Georgia completely took away the Tennessee run game, and at that point you kind of make Tennessee more one-dimensional. And, you know, as I kind of mentioned to some of our video audience before the show began today, this is not just a great Georgia game plan. Clearly it was, but you're asking these Georgia players, Javon Bullard and Keely Ringo and Kamari Lasser and Chris Smith, you're asking them to go out there with no safety net whatsoever and just battle in a one-on-one type situation and just run step for step. And they were equal to that task on Saturday. So uh, same thing for like, you know, the five guys that were asked to stop the run and take that away from Tennessee. 
it was a great defensive game plan. Obviously, the results speak to that. But part of what made it so great is is these Georgia coaches had enough faith in their guys to say, we think you can do this. We think that you can go out there and, you know, Nick Saban said he thought his team was soft against Tennessee. Georgia clearly was not going to play soft. They may lo- they may lose, but they weren't going to lose playing soft. And the Georgia defense responded. What did you think about that side of the ball? I don't think Coach Smart and his staff get enough credit. I want to flash back to 2019 when Georgia wasn't a national championship team and LSU is running up and down the field against teams. And there was a sentiment across the country and included in Georgia Nation. The Bulldog Nation was like, if you don't score 50 points, it's not about defense anymore. It used that old adage of defense wins championship no longer applies. It's become a boat race, if you will. And Georgia has to keep up. And, and Coach Smart and his staff doubled down on that balanced attack. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to play hard defense. We're going to play physical. We're not going uh, selling, pushing all our chips onto the table and say, we're just going to play 50-point-plus football and, and race you to the finish line. It's We're going to stay true to who we've been and who we are and not ignore the fact that the game has changed. I yeah. think we've recognized there's – new wrinkles offensively but certainly didn't sell the house when it comes to playing solid defense and that's an abandonment from what other folks had raced to of well this is just offensive football now we're playing speedball like it's backyard and and georgia did not do that and i think it's paying dividends and spades and why there's a separation and I, i it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around uh the the parity that people are talking about when you get to the top because in mind, Georgia is head and shoulders above the rest of the class. Now, can they slip up and is humility, quote-unquote, a week away? Absolutely. There are teams that very much can beat Georgia that um, uh, you, you go out there and perform on a Saturday and, you know, can, can Georgia lose? The answer is yes. You know, there's not that much separation from the teams on the top, but There isn't a team out there that I feel like if Georgia played a 10-week season against them that they wouldn't win seven or eight of them. Not not a team that that is close week in and week out to the level of football that Georgia can play, and primarily that's because they are so efficient on both sides of the ball. They're not so heavy offensively that, you know, they, they can overcome defensive deficiencies. What was expected of this defense was a huge drop off as they try to replace these all-stars that, that left, and, and by all-stars, guys that were drafted high. Uh, yeah. Because you and I know, uh, you know, even last year, it was almost, you know, nobody was saying Trevon Walker, who goes number one in the draft, is the B star of the defense. That's right. That didn't really matriculate out until after the season was over. So, again, it's, it's guys playing at a really high level selflessly so that the unit performs exceptionally well and it doesn't always translate to individual statistics i i I totally agree with all of that and on the other side of the ball i I thought stetson bennett was so electric the the rushing touchdown and you talk about another Mm. kind of moment that stands out you know when it appeared for a moment the officiating crew had gotten that wrong and had to go to replay to get it correct the roar that came after the 
correct overturn of the call and the fact that you know Stett had touched the pylon like that was one of those single moments from the game that'll stick with me forever but the rushing touchdown the throw to Rosemey Jackson of course you know the beautiful bomb mm. to, to Ladd McConkey, but to have Georgia come out swinging on that establish the lead and then kind of like a python eating a possum just completely strangling and suffocating you know Tennessee for the rest of the game but the way in which they kind of came out offensively Stetson in particular how about that side of the ball oh well I look forward to putting that on a t-shirt like a python eating a possum that's a good one there BA so uh, it, it was it's, again it's such an impressive performance because Georgia start off their very first series they turn the ball over at midfield, and you're going, oh, no, this is what can't happen. And who answers the bell but the defense? Holds them to three points. And then very quickly, Georgia just marches the ball down the field and steps into with a touchdown. We're, we're in the sidelines going, are they debating whether it was a targeting call? That's yeah. what we thought the, the pause was for because he very certainly lowers his helmet and it's helmet-to-helmet contact. And, you know, who knows these days how they call those you know, sensitive, touchy, subjective calls. But it was it was an electric performance uh, start to finish, and I think Georgia did exactly what they had planned to do. You know, you come into those games with a game plan, and sometimes you realize pretty quickly that uh, this ain't it, and we have to make some tweaks, and we're going to make some adjustments. But what I felt like happened on Saturday is they came in with with a good game plan that the players believed in, and from start to finish, believed in it and executed it at such a high level that Tennessee couldn't couldn't find an answer to what Georgia was throwing at them, and that's on both sides of the ball. I thought, again, Stetson's uh, the guy that somehow he, he continues to be underrated in so many people's minds. Yeah. But he's more than a game manager. He creates. He's, he's brave enough to, to make some throws or decisive enough to where he sees a lane that he takes it and that touchdown is case in point but he also made some absolutely gorgeous throws the arian smith throw the lad mcconkey throw um that that few quarterbacks can do that on a consistent level as a matter of fact you look at hooker on the other side and there were three deep balls where he had a wide receiver behind our defensive backs that he overthrows by two or three yards that could have been situation changers for, for Tennessee in that overall game. But I think that just it goes to, to speak to that complete uh, performance. And when you affect the passer up front, uh, which we were able to do and Tennessee was not able to do, it changes uh, so many different dynamics and aspects of the game that um, led to a, a resounding Georgia victory over a good Tennessee football team. Let me do two quick things before we let you go. You know, Kirby talks a lot about special teams, and at times I have to admit that when he's kind of going on for several minutes at a time about kick coverage, <laughs> you sort of wish he'd say something more interesting as someone who does this for a living. It's just it'd be nice to have a little more exciting quote from time to time. I don't mind telling you that. And yet, you know, you have a day like Saturday where you're like, well, gosh, I guess this stuff really is important because maybe one of the pivotal moments of the season thus far is the 70-plus yard punt by Brett Thorson, which Nyland Green races down and finds a way to kind of, you know, get, you know, before it gets in the end zone becomes a touchback and kind of down it inside the one there. Well, I guess after it's all said and done, maybe special teams really is really important because uh, Tennessee completely wilted in the shadow of its own end zone right there. And once again, special teams kind of a big part of that, which is really 
once again, John, just a validation of the way that Georgia plays. Yes, and it came at such a pivotal time. I mean, the, those minutes in a football game that are heavyweight bouts, I think for, for teams that are uh, familiar with those territories, they're not as monumental as it can be for other teams that are excited about being in that moment, but they're kind of unfamiliar territory. And for Tennessee, that became a pivotal, pivotal game-changing moment for them where I think there was a mentality shift of like, oh, well, this is – this is a big game where uh, I hate to point back to, to games in the past that Georgia's played in, but those Georgia-Alabama brawls that we've seen where, you know, a heavyweight haymaker gets thrown and it, it lands sometimes, but the game's not over. In this game against Tennessee, I felt like there was a shift that was almost palpable. You could feel that Tennessee was like, oh, no, this, is, uh, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. And all of a sudden, they felt like their back was against the wall and were having to play from that position for the rest of the game because, you know, that special team's play was huge. I also think that I'm still debating whether or not that was a safety. Yeah, no doubt. It was awful close to me. No doubt, no doubt. Well, huge play and, yeah, it's consistency, right? That, that's the complementary, all three phases of the game coming together. So, in just very quick before I let you go, you mentioned that, you know, kind of getting after Hooker in the end zone there. You know, I've been calling for it all season long. Saturday it showed up. How nice was it to see that relentless pass rush finally on display for mm. Georgia after, you know, and I, I do take it seriously. I mean, I heard Daniel Jeremiah talk about that this week, and Jeremiah is a guy that I have a lot of respect for from the NFL Network than the college game, getting harder to get sacks. Kirby Smart's talked about that too. Logistically, when you only have a couple of seconds, it's hard to get there. But, boy, on Saturday Georgia got credited with six. Could have been eight. I, you know, maybe should have been. Some of that kind of stuff is hard to know if the quarterback was running or not. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it was relentless pass rush. And for me, that was the single most satisfying moment of the entire game. Yeah, it, it's a piece of the, of the Georgia defense that you're like, ooh, you know, especially losing Nolan Smith, who was so consistent in everything that he did. You know, even though he wasn't like a stat or a sack guy per se on a national scale, so consistent. How how does a defense replace somebody like that? Yet the very first performance after knowing that he's not going to be available for the season, Georgia does what it does, which is relies on that entirety of the unit. And it wasn't just Jalen Carter, who man, it's always good to have him back, but. So it's through pressures and, and just relentless pass rush from your front four, being able to affect the passer was a huge piece of this football game where Booker was not comfortable. You watched him in the pocket, and you could see that the, the pass rush affected him. The, the closing of that pocket, the interior penetration, and then the pressures late. Javon Bullard ends with two sacks on the day, and you know it's going to be a good one because Georgia was able to put – their defensive backs and, and you know, challenging one-on-one situations. They held up well, and the front end came away uh, with their side of that bargain, which is you're not going to have to be back there alone for long. And we, when you do that, when you bring pressure or you, you isolate your defensive backs, they, they're okay with that agreement as long as you're affecting that passer. And that quarterback can't just sit back there for – three, four seconds at a time and peruse the field and come across and let them make a couple – that can't happen. So uh, that Georgia defense, you know, from the front end to the back, played a game that 
um, again, that goes back to the, here's the game plan, but we've got to honor and respect what our roles are. And I think across the board, they were able to execute that about as well as you could ask. John, great stuff. Thanks for being here today. We'll look forward to hearing a lot more from you coming up uh, very soon there at uh, on, on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window in Dwarf, Georgia. Hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Hey, it's going to be a great week for all dog fans. How about it? Go dogs. No doubt about that, John. Great stuff. Thanks so much. Obviously, good stuff there with uh, John Stinchcomb, and glad to have him on the uh, program. We'll get to our SEC through and do that in a uh, quick second. Before that, though, I do want to give a quick shout out to, you know, we talk a lot about you know injuries, things like that going on at UGA. Obviously, I've been watching in our comment sections. The show been kind of rolling. I don't know, folks, wondering, hey, what's Robert Beal's future going to be? And you know, uh, hopefully, getting an update from that on Kirby Smart uh, here later on today. So obviously, health and uh, you know physical condition very important when you think about Georgia football players, and it's important in your own life there as well, taking care of your own kind of bumps and bruises and the injuries that you might happen and the things that go on with all of that well that's where i want you to kind of get acquainted with our friends at peachtree orthopedics because they've been atlanta's go-to orthopedic group for more than 70 years here and they've uh, got leading physicians specialists for every part of your body and a great process for helping you get better and here's how it's going to d- kind of work out this is the process they're going to put in, in place for you and have been doing now for more than 70 years they're going to listen understand your problem they're going to make sure that uh, they all your options are fully explained to you so you don't have any kind of fear going into a situation like this and they're going to make a plan for your recovery so you can get back to doing whatever it is you enjoy doing in life playing golf or or running marathons or whatever your thing is they can get you back in the game here really quick so now with the urgent ortho clinic they're going to make it even easier for you because they offer same day evening got some saturday hours convenient for you to kind of get in there and uh, get what you need seen about and kind of get back and doing the stuff that you love doing even faster and with less cost to you. So life is waiting. Time for you to get better. And our friends at Peachtree Orthopedics want you to be able to do that. So find them online at peachtreeorthopedics.com, peachtreeorthopedics.com, and you can check them out today. So uh, check them out. Great to have them as a part of uh, Dog Nation Daily here today. And now we'll roll into our SEC through. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, good stuff with uh, John Stinchcomb there. And, yeah, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, there will be a lot of curiosity. You know, I'm speaking to you here live just before 11 a.m. Kirby Smart will speak for this press conference uh, around noon. And one of the big questions will be the health status of Robert Beal. When Kirby spoke during the post-game press conference on Saturday obviously didn't have any kind of update to offer on Beal there at the time, but finding out more about the injury that took him away from the team and off the uh, field there, uh, you know, kind of stepping in in place of the already injured Nolan Smith, Beal's injury going to be key information to know. And obviously, we're not doing a ton of this today, of course, but if you want to go back before the season began, hey, what's the toughest stretch for Georgia this season? Most of us said, ooh, back-to-back road games in November, Mississippi State, then Kentucky. Well, that stretch is now here. And for all the attention the Tennessee game has gotten, and rightly so, an unforgettable night in Sanford Stadium when it was all said and done, and you know, the, by ranking the biggest game to ever take place in the stadium, well, the job, and you see this so frequently in the SEC, you got to dust yourself off and get back to business here. And for Georgia, that means going on the road in back-to-back weeks. We talk about go for two and 22 around here. Well, go for two takes on a little bit different meaning here over the course of the next couple of weeks. It's go for two on the road. First Starkville, then Lexington. But that's the business at hand here for the Georgia Bulldogs. Two big road games to kind of handle here. So as the week goes on, you better believe we're going to be getting heavily into 
how you get back to it. How do you get that game face focus, chance to clinch the division coming up here? We're going to get into all of that here before it is done. And it's going to be a busy week heading towards Starkville here in our program. But also, we're thinking about crews around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean there as well. And, of course, great chance for you to be a part of what was so much fun a year ago. It kind of turned into a national championship celebration. Admittedly, we didn't know it was going to be that way. We planned our first ever cruise with Dog Nation. That's what it turned out to be. Well, now you have a little bit more forethought that, you know what, maybe go for 2-22. and 22. We have a chance to do all of this all over again, and we already have such a huge response. I, I can't believe how big this Dog Nation cruise is getting. It's already magnitudes larger in terms of the staterooms that have been booked. Already magnitudes larger than last time was last time was one of the most fun things we've ever done for me in the history of dog nation and yet by the size and scope alone this year's dog nation crew is going to be so much uh bigger and there is still time for you to be a part of it there as well in fact i talked to three different people in on saturday in athens who were like ba i'm gonna see you on that dog nation cruise i won't be there so we're already hearing from so many folks who are going to be a part of this and that's just great to hear and if you want to be a part of it yourself you can go to royaldogs.com that is royaldogs.com, and find out more about the specifics of the event. The great stuff to do on board Independence of the Seas this upcoming April, but in addition to that, the terrific array of special Dog Nation-only events. They're a part of that there as well. You can check all of that out, royaldogs.com. It's a website specially made by our friend Jessica Slater, who's a terrific travel agent and the one that Royal Caribbean trusts to help us book this great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation uh, for, for all of you who are going to be a part of it. So you can call Jessica as well, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And as I'm telling you all of this, you're also seeing some video, at least if you're watching a video, of the upcoming Icon of the Seas. At new standard of the cruise industry when Icon debuts January of 2024. And you're going to be able to see all of that coming up really soon. And having a great time with us on the Dog Nation cruise there as well. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC now. And let's talk about a couple of things. And I think it's fair to say this. And this may sound a little bit weird, so let me make sure I say it correctly. And I guess make sure you, you hear what I'm saying and hear, not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I think the most significant thing to happen on Saturday may not have been Georgia winning. It may have been Alabama losing. And I'm going to say this from, from the perspective of history here. I mean, after all, no matter what anonymous coach moron may have said to ESPN.com or what you know talking head on TV may have said, Georgia still was more than a touchdown favorite. It was expected to win. But Alabama was a two-touchdown favorite going to LSU, and Alabama proved, I think, once and for all now, they've lost twice, they could have lost far more than that, that Alabama is just not the same Alabama for this year right now. Now, do they get that back at some point in time? Maybe they do, but you do have to question how easily is that going to be done here over the course of this offseason? This is not a national championship-level football team. This is not a playoff-level football team right now. Alabama has regressed. When Alabama lost to Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, what I told you was, I said the Alabama era is over. Now, I acknowledge at the time, that did not mean I didn't think Alabama could win the national championship this season. There was a chance they could have dusted off that road loss to Tennessee and still come back and won the national championship. We now know that's not going to happen, but when I said the Alabama era is over a couple of weeks ago, that wasn't the same thing as the Alabama dynasty is done. That's not the same thing. A lot of folks have kind of gone down that path and been proven wrong in the past. But the Alabama era to me was, and you've heard me say this before, it was across-the-board dominance in all phases. Best offense, best defense, best coaching staff, best recruits, best, 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 best. Alabama had kind of defined itself by this, 
by this overwhelming excellence in every phase. And it's pretty obvious when you've watched them play here lately. They don't quite have that anymore. And now we know after the LSU loss, they have even less of that than we imagined. That Nick Saban has tried to evolve with the times, but he has evolved in such a way that's weakened Alabama. Nick Saban, over the course of the late stage of his career, has delegated a lot of authority and in doing so has made Alabama into something different than it once was. The Alabama team of the Kirby Smart days, when Smart you know, left there after the 2015 season, this was a team that had physical toughness. This was a team that had that competitive edge. This is a team that wanted to, to strike you on both sides of the ball. And Alabama has become, as you well know and you've heard me say before, much more of a finesse-oriented football team. And they've gotten worse in that process. And Nick Saban has patted himself in the back and celebrated all the ways in which that he's kind of evolved with the times. You've heard him say many times, and I think a lot of this was directed as a, as a shot towards his former uh, protege, Kirby Smart, that you're not going to win anything, we've heard Nick Saban say, playing defense, running the football the way that football used to be, the kind of football that – that, that Nick Saban, you know, once embraced, he made a big show out of no longer embracing that and kind of showing you how willing he was to kind of get with the times. And yet, I think successful people change their mind slowly. And I think in retrospect, Nick Saban just simply changed his mind too quickly. And he evolved too much in a direction that opened the door for Kirby Smart to maintain some of what has defined football for you know decades Kirby Smart was able to maintain some of that while Alabama willingly let go of it all. And the path that allowed Georgia to win a national championship so quickly, I think part of the story for why that happened is because Alabama opened the door for it to take place by simply becoming something they didn't used to be. I don't fully understand why this is, but everybody who embraces the, you know, score 50 points per game on the offensive side of the stuff, uh, you know, on that side, on that offensive side, every team that fully embraces that, suffers in other places they become worse defensively Ohio State had the same thing happen to them they're trying to correct that this year uh, with Jim Knowles as the defensive coordinator and they seem to be taking some steps towards doing that but pretty clearly they know they were too finesse oriented for a while now Alabama kind of is that as well and when you don't have great wide receivers this year Alabama doesn't all of a sudden you don't really have kind of any identity whatsoever this is kind of a failed program here right now at least in terms of the way in which you typically define Alabama in terms of winning a national championship. And there's a lot of soul-searching in Tuscaloosa that's going to have to take place. And you know what? As a program, they may still be good enough that they fix it here over the course of the offseason, they come back next year, and they're just as good as ever. You have to consider that's still a possibility. But something right now is broken, and it's not an easy fix. In fact, seeking easy fixes may be one of the things that's kind of gotten Alabama in trouble. All of the transfers they took in, once again, Another example of Nick Saban kind of rushing to embrace some newfangled idea only to find out that there just isn't quite the easy fix that's out there. Does Alabama have the same culture in place that it used to have? I think it's safe to say that it doesn't. And when you've got a wide receiver from Georgia and a running back from Georgia Tech and another receiver from Louisville and an offensive lineman from Vanderbilt and all the huge level of transfers they took in, every time you bring in a bunch of faces from other places – your culture is going to be watered down just a bit. I think the Alabama culture has simply been watered down too much. So when we look back on this particular weekend, obviously Georgia fans will remember it fondly for how fun it was to be a part of the big win against Tennessee. But at least in the virtue of point spreads, the win against Tennessee was expected to happen. Alabama was not expected to lose at LSU on Saturday, and they lost again. They've lost twice now, could have lost far more than that. 
Alabama has slipped, and there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done there in Tuscaloosa to find out if they can even get back to the perch they were once on. We'll have to see how all that plays out. On the LSU side of this, all of a sudden for a Georgia fan, you now are completely confronting a different reality than you thought you would. If Georgia can clinch the East, beat Mississippi State and do that, then all of a sudden you have a very likely chance of looking across the field and seeing a team in Atlanta in December you didn't expect to see. Brian Kelly, year one, has a chance to lead LSU to an SEC West championship, sort of a division win, an SEC championship berth, and you do have to give him some credit for that. These are the kinds of wins he didn't really get when he was at LSU, and I frankly didn't expect him to get that on Saturday. But, But he seems to be figuring some stuff out over there. And listen, I think that if this is the SEC West winner, which right now sort of seems like it will be, I'd say that on paper this is probably the worst SEC West winner in a good number of years. I don't know how long, how far you have to go back in the past to find a softer, softer SEC West winner than this LSU team would be by appearances. But nonetheless, you do have to give you know Brian Kelly a lot of credit here, and you do have to look at the very real possibility that it's going to be Georgia LSU if Georgia can obviously take care of its business. But Georgia LSU in the SEC championship game, and that is not something that really anybody would have said here at the uh, beginning of the season. And then I guess finally we'll kind of quickly uh, kind of get to this, which is ugly bad loss for Clemson against Notre Dame on Saturday. Uh, to go along with the Alabama loss there too. Obviously, Ohio State kind of scuffled around with Northwestern. That was kind of somewhat contributed by the weather. But boy, I mean, you're left to wonder now as Clemson, I'm assuming here, is going to miss the playoff for a second consecutive year. You have to start to wonder, do they get that back? I believe I'm right about this. Of the teams that have been in multiple playoffs, um, I think, you know, Georgia is the one that had the longest drought between appearances. I think it was four years between 17 and, and 2021. But for the most part, teams that that make multiple playoff appearances kind of do them in clusters a little bit. Uh, and, and for a Clemson team now missing the playoff for a second consecutive year, if that's what this leads to, which I believe, uh, just getting the fact they don't really have many wins to argue for them right now, that the the Notre Dame loss might be fatal to the Clemson playoff chances. This is a team that seems far different than certainly the team that won a national championship in 2018 and a team that's kind of a playoff fixture even in years after that. This seems to be like a very different Clemson team right now. You kind of wonder, is it kind of a changing of a guard in that regard? Is, is, is Clemson kind of stepping back from its perennial playoff contending status right now? It feels like there's a lot of change in the air in terms of what the pecking order has been and that we see we – see definitely a little bit of a of a sea change going on here where georgia obviously by appearances from saturday is kind of rising to sort of an ascendant stage and teams like alabama and teams like clemson are going the other direction this is a very interesting time to be a college football fan and if you're a georgia fan obviously you love the idea of this continuing for as long as it can because georgia's perch atop college football is more unquestioned right now than it has been at any point in time in this season but bad day for clemson on saturday bad day for alabama all of this very, very fascinating to see. And we'll see how the playoff selection committee discusses all of this when it dares its show on Tuesday night. But pretty clearly, there's going to be a very different-looking ranking situation on Tuesday than there was last week. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And one thing I want to point your attention to around here is if you go to dognation.com, right at the top of the page, you hear us say all the time, go for two and 22. Well, guess what we have for you right now? You can tell the world that's exactly what uh, Georgia wants to do. 
Clemson, sorry you lost Notre Dame. Alabama, sorry you lost again. For everybody who's kind of dealing with all of that, you can tell them sorry. At Georgia, we don't know what that feels like. At Georgia right now, it's all about go for two and 22. And click the link at the top of the page at dognation.com. You can get your own go for two and 22 t-shirt, the same image you see on the front of my desk each and every day. You get a chance to have that for yourself there as well. Our Dog Nation store, which is dognation.store, that's its own URL. But the easiest way to do this, click the link at the top of the page at dognation.com. Get your own go for two and 22 t-shirt. Time to make the push. That's what Saturday was all about. It's fun to see those T-shirts all over the place here coming up very, very soon. And by the way, speaking of our golden shoe winners, as you might imagine, we have a lot of these uh, in the days ahead. Looking back on this game against Tennessee, and we'll do some fun ones here right now, including Joshua Campbell, who gives you the hashtag go for 2 and 22 on the message that he sends. And I saw this meme a good bit this week where like the Grim Reaper is Tennessee sort of knocking on every door, LSU and Alabama and Kentucky, and then – on the Georgia side, the dog slams open that door and says, who's there? Squashing the Grim Reaper. This was a great image. Joshua Campbell, thanks for sharing that with me. We'll make you a golden shoe winner today, especially since you use the hashtag, go for two and 22, which we love to see. Another golden shoe winner there as well, going to Dublin Dog, who says this needs to be a golden shoe. And what do you see? Smokey the Blue Tick Hound. He has been muzzled. Uh, by the Georgia Bulldogs. That's exactly right. There's only room for one dog in the SEC, and it's not Bully in Starkville, and it's not uh, Reveille in College Station, and it sure as heck ain't uh, Smokey up there in uh, Knoxville. It is Ugga, and on Saturday, Smokey got put in his place. So a uh, good stuff, Dublin Dog, and Keith Pitts, by the way, too, who I guess made the graphic. Uh, really good to both of you there as well. And, of course, now that one orange team has been dispatched, it's time to think about the other orange team, or at least one of those orange rivals that Georgia has. 355 days from right now. Dogs back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. We don't forget about that around here. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Go for two and 22. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm now with the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Get a couple shout-outs here. Navy Dog, writing into dognation.com uh, about the game, saying, so proud of our dogs, so proud of Kirby Smart, all the coaching staff and assistants, so proud of Dog Nation. It's great to be a dog fan. Go dogs! And I think that, obviously, Georgia fans did a job on Saturday, which was to create an incredible atmosphere. But kind of in the aftermath of the game, I think the most important job here is to make sure you fully appreciate what it was that you saw. This was thorough. This was a real beatdown. And it was the kinds of things that reinforced, I think, what um, what George is all about. And it just feels good to be on the right side of all of this. And I, I just enjoyed it. It's one of the – I think it is undoubtedly the most fun day I've ever had at Sanford Stadium. I was almost kind of sad when it was over with, you know, driving home. I was like, well, I guess that was <laughs> – Hard to imagine it'll ever be better than that. And so you just sort of soak it all up and you try to appreciate it the best you can. And as Navy Dog says, each and every one of these coaches, whether it be, you know, the explosives that Georgia kind of dials up early in the game, credit to the offensive staff. The the relentless pressure on Hendon Hooker, credit there to the defensive staff. It was a great, great day in which Georgia players went out there and executed what was by appearances a pretty flawless game plan so well said navy dog for sure old dog 76 pointing at 132.6 decibels and 
listen, I don't know much about science in particular. The science of, you know, decibel readings, I certainly don't know much about. But I'll tell you, and we talked about this with John Stinchcomb, it was piercingly loud. It wasn't the kind of dull roar that you sometimes hear. The oh, you know, that it wasn't like that. It was, it was aggressively loud, and it kept getting louder. And on some of those like second half possessions, even in the rain, by the way, which we talked about during the show, how fans kind of took it to a different level even during the rain. It was amazing as you know Tennessee was trying to get it snapped, and the noise level just kept going up, and you sort of thought it was as loud as it could be, and then it kept getting louder. It was it was really something. Montana Dog says, how fun was that? And fun is the right word. It just was. It was a blast. I joked about this in the postgame show, is that Honestly, maybe we should do this every week, have some TV show like a Tuesday night, like the CFP thing this past week where everybody talks about how bad Georgia is and, you know, everybody gets all fired up to kind of go out there and respond to that because I don't know that I've ever had more fun. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was great. And, and I think the fun is certainly the right word to describe all of that. So to all of you who've commented, thank you for being a part of our RS Andrews podcast, Cool Down. And to all of you that enjoyed the game, I'm glad to know that you did and can't wait to get back and do it again in a very different situation on the road at Mississippi State on Saturday. We'll get busy discussing that on tomorrow's show and a part of our podcast cool down there as well. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Turn to them for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. You have some sort of electrical issue, some sort of issue with your plumbing. Don't mess around with that stuff yourself. Trust our friends at R.S. Andrews. Story after story, they have been delivering smiles, and they can deliver a smile for you. So find them online at rsandrews.com for a lot more today. Y'all have a great day, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window, and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.